Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Hello and welcome to the Nutrition Diva podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagle. And today we're going to be talking about some of the long-term implications of the low FODMAP diet. This dietary approach can be very effective in reducing painful symptoms associated with irritable bowel syndrome. And that's a disorder that affects up to 15% of adults. At the same time, the approach seems to contradict some of the standard healthy eating guidelines. Today, we're going to talk about reconciling the low FODMAP diet with other dietary advice. And joining me to sort through all of this is Tamara Duker Freuman. She's a registered dietitian and a digestive specialist, a frequent guest on the Nutrition Diva podcast, and also author of The Bloated Belly Whisperer. But before we bring Tamara in, let me just fill in a little background for those who may not be familiar with FODMAPs. The idea behind the low FODMAP diet is that most IBS symptoms, such as bloating and abdominal pain, are triggered by certain types of carbohydrate that are poorly digested or absorbed. By avoiding foods that contain those specific carbohydrate molecules, the symptoms of IBS can be greatly reduced. Since its introduction in 2005, numerous studies and clinical trials have now shown the low FODMAP diet to be extremely and uniquely effective, much to the relief of millions of IBS sufferers everywhere. The term FODMAP is actually an acronym for the different types of carbohydrate molecules that are targeted in this approach, fructans, oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. Foods that are high in one or more of these special molecules include wheat, rye, onions, legumes, lentils, dairy products, mushrooms, and cauliflower. And the low FODMAP diet also limits certain fruits, such as apples and pears, and sweeteners, such as honey, which are higher in fructose. So here's where it gets a little tricky. We talk so much about the value of fiber in a healthy diet. Incorporating more fiber into your diet can help regulate blood sugar and cholesterol, manage your appetite and your weight, and promote a healthy microbiome. But many foods that are high in fiber are also high in FODMAPs. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. 
Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea. Totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Do people suffering from IBS have to choose between symptom relief and the benefits of a higher fiber diet? So let's bring Tamara into the conversation. So Tamara, in addition to your extensive knowledge of all things gut-related, you also have very extensive clinical experience working with patients. And I want to share with you a couple of specific questions that I've gotten from my listeners. Now, I realize we're not going to be giving individual advice or medical advice in a podcast, but I think their questions really raise some interesting questions. Maybe you could just share with us how you might approach this sort of thing with your own patients. Sound good? Sounds good. So I got a note from Julie and she said, I have IBS and I generally follow a low FODMAP diet, but all I ever hear is how bad white bread and white rice are but these are now diet staples for me. If I eat whole grains, it makes me feel bloated and miserable. So how do I balance this? Are refined grains like white rice really that bad for you? And then I got another email sort of from a different angle from Theo. And he wrote a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with IBS and also type two diabetes. So I'm now managing my diabetes with diet and exercise, but trying to avoid FODMAPs make that diet part a real challenge. So do you hear these kinds of things in your practice where people feel like, yeah, the FODMAP diet is effective for IBS, but it's at odds with other dietary advice that I've been given? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm constantly trying to manage um, IBS type diet restrictions with all sorts of other issues, whether it's diabetes or, you know, gout or... Uh, all sorts mm-hmm. of things. So there's uh, a lot of considerations you have to take into account. Well, we've talked before on the podcast about how beneficial fiber is, You're getting as much different types of fiber as you can tolerate. And I guess that's the magic word right there, you can tolerate. But do people with IBS have to sacrifice those benefits of a higher fiber diet? So, I mean, there's no generalizing for all people with IBS. Every case of IBS is a special unicorn snowflake, and we really have to look at an individual's tolerance and, you know, make the diet work for them. Uh, And so the issue with fiber is you have to really 
customize the type of fiber to the person. And so when we think of high versus low, you lose a lot of nuance. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's different types of fiber and different types of fiber behave really differently in the body. A lot of people who feel really lousy after whole wheat, which is sort of what we often think of as a whole grain, um, are reacting to the specific type of fiber in whole wheat, which is called insoluble fiber. And it's what we think of as roughage, right? Wheat bran has a specific type of fiber, insoluble. It's very bulky. A lot of people find it really uncomfortable when they have IBS. Other whole grains have different types of fiber. So for example, whole grain oats have soluble fiber. And many of my patients with IBS find that easier to tolerate, especially if we do something to kind of modify its textural properties. So for example, if you think in your head, steel cut oats are whole grain oats, but so are Cheerios right? Mm -hmm. Um, We've done something to the whole oats to make them into Cheerios. We've refined it into a very fine flour that will literally kind of dissolve in your mouth. Or even like an instant oatmeal has a really different textural property than a steel cut oat. Again, they're both whole grain foods, but by kind of manipulating the textural properties of that whole grain food and choosing a whole grain food that's a soluble fiber type of whole grain, there's a good chance that you may tolerate that type of whole grain, but maybe not whole wheat. And so the devil's really in the details. So with enough kind of experimentation and customization, can people following a low FODMAP diet get enough fiber to build that healthy microbiome we're all talking about these days? Yeah, most people can. Again, it's just a question of choosing which types of fiber and not, you know, martyring yourself, you know, like that you have to eat whole wheat. If it doesn't agree with you, there are other ways to get fiber. And maybe it's not from your grains at all. Maybe no whole grains work for you, but you can do okay with squashes and zucchinis or, you know, fruits that don't have skins and seeds. You know, there's other ways to get fiber in your diet, chia seeds, whatever. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's grains aren't the only food that have fiber. Um, And like I said, there's a lot of things we can do with textural manipulation, soups and smoothies instead of eating things whole um, that a lot of people with IBS find enable them to eat a greater variety and a greater amount of fruits or vegetables or even nuts and and sometimes even beans, believe it or not, Um, as long as we kind of really think about how, how we manipulate them, how we cook them, how we process them. Well, see, this is why we have to bring a digestive expert into the conversation. But, you know, FODMAP, the low FODMAP diet has gotten so popular now that a lot of people are doing it on their own without the benefit of guidance from a nutrition professional or a digestive specialist. And, you know, the first phase of the low FODMAP diet is to try to clear all the FODMAPs or as as much as you can out of the diet just to get that initial relief. But then there's supposed to be that second reintroduction phase where you, in a very organized way, reintroduce different categories because um, some people may be sensitive to one but not others. And I, I kind of wonder whether, especially people who are doing this on their own, they get that initial relief. They never want to go back to the way it felt before. And so they never do that reintroduction phase. And as a result, they may be restricting more foods than they actually need to in order to get relief. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I would go a step further to say that a lot of our patients are never even told that they're supposed to rechallenge, right? And so what often happens is a doctor will hand somebody, you know, a handout that says, try this low FODMAP diet, or they don't even give a handout. They just say, try the low FODMAP diet, look it up online, which 
is mm-hmm. problematic because not all the information online is particularly accurate. And they never mention that this is supposed to be a temporary diet. It's supposed to be a diagnostic diet um, and that there is supposed to be a reintroduction period. You know, honestly, it only takes about two weeks on the diet for most people to know if it's going to help or not. Um, and after about two weeks, for most people, it's prudent to start challenging if it helped. And if it didn't help after two weeks, it's not going to help if you wait another four weeks or six weeks or a year. And so you can know pretty quickly on this diet whether or not it's, uh, it has promise. So I'm curious from your experience working with patients, when you do that reintroduction phase, um, do most of them are, are most of them able to reintroduce a significant number of foods? How many people really are sensitive to all the FODMAPs across the board? So again, it depends. If you're dealing with someone who truly actually has IBS, then most of my patients can tolerate at least one of the groups, if not more. Um, But often what happens is that people who have a different condition called SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, are labeled as having IBS. And what can happen is if you think you have IBS, but you really have SIBO, and then you start to try to reintroduce FODMAPs, it's very common for someone like that to fail every single challenge and then walk away thinking, God, I have like the worst case of IBS ever. I have zero FODMAP tolerance. Um, And so in my practice, often if somebody um, is not able to handle any FODMAP whatsoever, especially if at some point in their life they were, I will often recommend them to get tested for SIBO first. Yes, so many of the foods on the low FODMAP diet are otherwise really healthy foods. And so we don't want people restricting their diets more than they need to in order to feel well. We want to be able to incorporate as many of these healthy whole foods as are tolerable. Absolutely. And I think another underutilized trick of the trade that I use a lot is digestive enzymes. And so specifically for this one family of FODMAPs, the GOS family, the galacto-oligosaccharides, which is the bean and Brussels sprout family, which is notoriously Mm -hmm. hard for people, there is an enzyme called alpha-galactosidase. It's basically an enzyme that helps you digest that FODMAP. And a lot of my patients are able to tolerate that FODMAP if we do the challenge along with an enzyme supplement. Um, And so utilizing all the tools we have at our disposal to maximize FODMAP tolerance is going to give somebody with IBS their best chance at, you know, as minimally restricted a diet as possible. Now, I do want to say that we're not talking about a wholesale endorsement of dietary enzymes as a category. There are so many products out there that are pitched as all-purpose digestive enzymes that are not really supported by the science, but you're talking about a very specific targeted enzyme for a targeted FODMAP. And in fact, this is available inexpensively over the counter as a product called Beano. Yeah, Beano, Beanzyme, there's all sorts of different um, families. You have to be a little bit careful with the brand you choose because some brands of digestive enzymes actually have FODMAPs in them as fillers. A lot of these companies use mannitol or sorbitol, which is not great, but there are brands that don't have it. And yes, to your point, a lot of these sort of, you know, random digestive enzyme cocktails won't even contain this particular enzyme, the alpha-galactosidase. And so it's like you're taking all these random enzymes that have no utility for the thing that you're actually trying to digest. And so the important thing about enzymes is that they are specific (laughs) to target substrates. And so if you don't use the right enzyme for the right food, it's useless. Absolutely. That's something you definitely want to have the advice of a nutrition professional steering you in the right direction. 
Well, I just want to tackle one last question here, and it was what Julie brought up. And that is, if people really can't tolerate whole grains or even whole wheat, because that is the most common grain in the Western diet, if they can't tolerate the whole wheat, is it okay to eat some refined grains? Yeah, you know, I think that the whole popular conversation that we have about diet really does people a disservice. We talk about individual foods as being healthy or unhealthy or good or bad Mm -hmm. or what have you. And individual foods really can't be assessed in terms of their healthfulness out of the context of the entire diet, right? And so someone who eats, you know, fruits and vegetables and nuts and then like white rice um, probably has a pretty terrific healthy diet. And the white rice is not diluting the diet quality so much that we would say that, you know, it's having a deleterious effect on their diet quality. And that's really different than someone who's eating, you know, pizza and french fries and burgers and white rice, you know, and like the white rice is really eaten in the context of a diet that has very low nutrient density. And so you can't really say, yes, that's a good food or yes, that's a bad food or it's okay to eat white rice or not okay to eat white rice. The answer is what else are you eating? (laughs) You know, if if the rice isn't bringing something nutritionally you know, significant to the table other than yumminess, which I don't discount, you know, what else are we eating to make up those shortfalls? And if the answer is plenty of other stuff, then eat your white rice. (laughs) That's right. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I know we're on the same page with that. And with all of the grains, because we do have such a relentless drumbeat of, uh, media about the value of whole grains, we sometimes lose track of how big a role the portion size matters when we're talking about grain-based products. And so, you know, when we're talking about bread or pasta or rice, how much we're eating matters at least as much as whether that is whole grain or not. And so that's the other thing we really want to keep in, in mind here. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for for coming and uh, sharing your expertise and your experience with us. I knew you'd be the perfect person to ask these questions. Oh, it's always great to be here. You're going to start charging me rent if I keep coming back. (laughs) You're always welcome. And we'll make sure we have links to your book, The Bloated Belly Whisperer, which I highly recommend, and your website on our show notes. Thanks, Tamara. Come back soon. Thank you. I want to thank Julie and Theo for suggesting this great topic, and I hope you got some useful insight from Tamara's expertise. I know I did. As I said, Tamara's been a frequent guest on the Nutrition Diva podcast, and I hope you'll also check out our previous conversations on bloating, the causes and cures, and also on intestinal permeability, also known as leaky gut. Both of those were great conversations, and I can also highly recommend her book, The Bloated Belly Whisperer. Links to all of these resources are in the show notes at quickanddirtytips.com. Our show is produced by Nathan Sems. It's edited by Karen Hertzberg. And our team at Macmillan Audio also includes Emily Miller, Michelle Margulis, Morgan Ratner, and our director, Kathy Doyle. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of seventh generation. Find seventh generation laundry detergent in fresh lavender and other scents at seventhgeneration.com. 
There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.